celebrating diversity in space exploration with Meredith Bagby. Welcome back to the Cosmic Companion. I'm James Maynard. Uh, this week, we are celebrating diversity in space exploration, looking at the history of inclusion in human explorations beyond our world, past, present, and future. Later in the show, we're going to be talking with Meredith Bagby, author of The New Guys, a look at NASA's groundbreaking astronaut class of 1978. Now, the history of space exploration has been marked by numerous milestones, not only in terms of scientific and technological achievements, but also in the inclusion and diversity of those who explore beyond our home world. Now, over the decades, space exploration has slowly evolved to include women, people of color, and LGBTQ individuals, paving the way for greater representation in the future. NASA's original class of astronauts from 1959, the Mercury 7, were all Caucasian male jet pilots, not exactly representative of a melting pot of society. However, less well known were the Mercury 13, a group of 13 women who underwent astronaut training in the early 1960s. Despite performing as well, if not better, than men at many rigorous physiological tests, NASA did not recognize these women as official astronaut trainees. Opposed by many politicians and media alike, no member of the Mercury 13 flew to space for 60 years until Wally Fuck in 2021. Will we hear more about her later? You will. Meanwhile, in Soviet Russia, Valentina Tereshkova, a 26-year-old aviatrix and skydiver, became the first woman to travel beyond Earth in 1963. Piloting Vostok 6, Tereshkova orbited the Earth for almost three days. To this day, she remains the only woman to have ever flown a solo mission in space. Valentina. So, uh, in 1983, Sally Ride entered the history books as the first American woman in orbit above our home world. Upon her death, Ride's obituary named her life partner a woman, making Ride the first known gay person to fly in space, although that aspect of her life was not made public at the time. Also in 1983, Guy Bluford became the first person of African heritage to reach the final frontier, riding aboard the Space Shuttle Challenger. The year 1992 saw Mae Jemison become the first African-American woman to travel beyond our home world. Ellison Onizuka made his mark as the first person of Asian heritage to journey away from Earth in 1985. And the power of seniors was affirmed in 2021 when former Mercury 13 member, 82-year-old Wally Funk, soared aboard a Blue Origin flight, briefly becoming the oldest person to reach the edge of space. Well, thanks. She's awesome. However, Funk's record was soon broken by 90-year-old William Stratner who trebled to the boundary of space months later 
making him the oldest person to travel to the final frontier, Spock! These accomplishments highlight the power of seniors and their ability to break down barriers for all. Oh, yeah. NASA's legendary class of 1978 opened doors to women and people of color who wish to become astronauts. Next up, we talk with Meredith Bagby, author of The New Guys, a look at this historic class of astronauts. Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time. And the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are a fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth, and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. This week on The Cosmic Companion, we are delighted to be joined by Meredith Bagby. She is a nonfiction writer, as well as a film and TV producer. And her credits include DreamWorks SKG and CNN. And her new book, The New Guys, talks about NASA's class of 1978 and what makes them so cool. So. Welcome to the show, Meredith. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with the obvious. Who were the new guys and what made them so cool? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Why did I write a whole book about them? Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, up until 1978, NASA had only uh, recruited from the ranks of white military pilots for their astronaut program. And in 78, there was change afoot. Uh, you know, the Civil Rights Act had passed and Congress was wanting to know when NASA was going to open its astronaut corps to the rest of the country um, for applications. And they put a lot of pressure on NASA to do so. And so in 78, they did. And they recruited from all kinds of different uh, backgrounds, um, scientists, women, people of color for the first time. And in that class, they hired um, 35 new guys. It was the largest class um, of astronauts that America had ever had at the time. And mm -hmm. for the first time, it included women and people of color. And so, and, and, and civilians, quite a number of civilians, um, people who were not in the military. So this class had a ton of firsts in it and that's why they were so cool. Um, uh, Sally Ride, who was the first American woman to space, um, Kathy Sullivan, who was the first American woman to walk in space, Guy Bluford, who was the first African-American in space and the list goes on. So this class was truly extraordinary. Um, and the the sad thing about this class, though, was four of them ended up um, dying in the Challenger accident. Mm -hmm. And so we, we kind of cover that in the book, all their terrific firsts and also the tragedy that befell so many members of this class. Mm. And so uh, women especially had tried to be astronauts before with the FLATS program, especially. Mm -hmm. um, was it because of the Civil Rights Act that, let's say, the new guys succeeded where the flats didn't? 
for the most part. So one eventually went to space. I think that's absolutely true. And I think it goes to show how important legislation is. Um, and they, uh, Congress really pressured NASA to, to modernize and to open the program to all kinds of people. And it was a law. And, and so they had to, and prior to that, they didn't have to. And so I think it was absolutely crucial that that law changed everything in in this country. Hmm. Can you tell us like, I know this book, you know, I've gone through it and this book is just full of uh, wonderful, inspiring stories, but can you share maybe one or two of your favorites? Um, let's see. Um, gosh, I mean, some of my, one of my favorites, which I hadn't known prior was, um, the race to be first. And Mm -hmm. there was a tremendous amount of pressure, um, put on both the women and the men of color to be first in their category. And so I, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was how, they, how only one man decided that. And his name was George Abbey and he was um, the director of flight operations and he was the one that assigned crews. And so there was this behind the scenes jockeying to win his favor and constant comparisons um, between uh, the women and between the men of color. And um, that was something I, I didn't know before. I didn't know that that power held, was really held by one man and one man made that decision and that all of this politicking kind of went around, um, you know, getting on his good side, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what inspired you to write the book? What made you think this really, really needs, really, really needs a book written about it? Um, it's a good question. You know, I was a child of the eighties. I'm also from Florida. And when I was a kid, um, my teacher, uh, competed for the teacher in space program. Mm. And so I was hyper aware of that program. And of course we went out on the field and watched challenger launch. And I saw it explode like right there on the field with all of my friends in fourth grade, uh, fourth, fifth grade. And so that, that story always stood, uh, you know, stayed with me. And then as I got to be an adult, um, I was actually just having a conversation with one of my cousins who worked for NASA. And I realized that on that flight were four members of this class. And we just started talking about it. And I just became obsessed with this class and with the fact that they had lost so many in Challenger. And I, mm-hmm. it's a story that I hadn't quite heard before. And mm-hmm. so I felt like it was a history that really needed to be told. Hmm. And you touched on this a little bit, but what is your origin story? What what got you interested in science and history? And mm-hmm. um, I think honestly, that experience with my with my fourth grade or my fifth grade teacher when he competed and he took us out to the Cape and we learned about NASA and we learned about the space program. And obviously, I, you know, as a child of the eighties and nineties, and so I watched the shuttle launch a lot <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. And it was always, you know, it was ever present in a way that it's not for kids today. And I think that's a bit of a tragedy. Um, and, um, you know, I was always interested in, I was always interested in politics. I was a political reporter at CNN. And this book has a lot of politics in it about, you know, the politics mm-hmm, yeah. that went into launching Challenger and the politics that went into the cha- um, the, the shuttle program in general and all of the difficulties they had because of the politics and because of the budget constraints that they faced. So this was kind of like, for me, it was like a perfect um, subject matter. And I, I, I interested me for the many years I worked on it and still does. Hmm. What do you hope that young people who are who are interested in entering a life of science can, can get from this book? 
Um, I hope they get from it that you can come from any background um, and succeed in science and you can find your way. And these were people who, you know, went first um, and paved the way. And um, I think that um, honoring them is important. Um, and, but I also hope that people see the fun and excitement and the human aspect of what it's like to be a scientist. Um, some of the scary stuff too, I think is important to, to read about and the risk that they took for science is mm. inspiring. Mm, absolutely. And just the, what inspires me a lot is just the amount of training that astronauts go through in order to recognize that fear mm -hmm. it's and true. acknowledge it, but not let it overcome them. Mm -hmm. It, that's absolutely true. Yeah, the program is at a minimum two years before anyone goes to space. <laughs> Poor Bob Crippen had to wait, I think, a decade before. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, it's a long process. And each step of the way is uh, a realization of the danger that they're experiencing during training, too. Um, and also when they launch, it's not easy to get to space. And I think they all can recognize that. <laughs> All right, all right. Yeah, I heard uh, Chris Hadfield saying in a class he teaches that uh, no astronaut goes launches to space with their fingers crossed. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So how do you see the space program, not only the class of 78, but also everything that's come since, um, helping us to better understand each other and help uh, everything become more diverse and inclusive of people here on earth? That's a, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, first of all, I think that the fact that uh, the classes MD8 implemented diversity and it succeeded in a really big way, not one of them dropped out, not one of them failed out of the program. And um I think it's a testament to the idea that diversity does bring a greater success for everyone um, when we have lots of points of views being voiced and um, and a lot of um, sharing of information. Um, I think the other thing is that this, everybody talks about how they go up into space and like the first thing they think of is like, oh, my gosh, we're not a bunch of nations. We're just a world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, and that there really is this um, um, the idea that the Earth is an organism. And we're all part of it. So now, of course, is the overview effect. And you know, it leads to my exactly. next question. How do you see as you get more and more as we as we're starting to move and migrate into space, more and more people are going to experience this this um, overview effect of seeing the world as one as one small blue marble. Right. <laughs> Right. How, how how does that how does that help us experience humanity in a better way? Um, no, that's absolutely the case. And I think it's, you know, when people have that experience, they do understand that the earth is an organism. Hopefully we'll take better care of the earth too. Um, you know, because we realize it is a dark and cold void out there. <laughs> you know? And there aren't a lot of, you know, warm landings or, war you know, and, and Earth is one of them. And so hopefully we do take better care of our planet, um, you know, and, you know, also one hopes that we don't weaponize um, space in the way we've done on Earth. Of course, I think there is that element that's going on, but one hopes that we, and I, I think that the, 
the sheer nature of how hard it is right. to be in space. Yes. We have to work together. It's going to force us to, I think. Exactly. And, that's, I, and I just love the idea that, you know, um, we're, you know, that space is hard. And in order, and there's no one nation or organization or NGO that can even sustain people in LEO mm-hmm. in lower Earth orbit for any amount of time by themselves. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and so when people are up there, we're gonna they're gonna find that you know their air is their air uh, supply comes from China. There's Food is coming from rockets supplied by SpaceX, and um, you know the habitat was created by the Chinese. And so, how does that affect our future as a human, as the human race? I think one would hope that we um, that forces us into coordinated action. Even, um, I mean, it was interesting, right? Because everything that went on—I'm not saying it was a success—but everything that went on with with Russia and the Ukraine, and we were still operating an international space station together. And mm. it was not easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? There were, there were moments of, 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 there is, there are moments of tension, but the, it, again, it's this idea of necessity forcing us to work together as a human race. And that we hope we go in that direction as opposed to going up in space and trying to collect resources for each nation and bringing them back, you'd be bringing them back down to earth and, and weaponizing space. Now, the truth is both things will probably happen, but mm-hmm. I think that space will be so hard that we'll have to, there, there just will need to be coordinated action for anybody to survive. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely believe that's very likely to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And another thing I see in the future is both the physical distance as well as the psychological distance of, let's say, living on Mars. Mm-hmm. It's going to radically change our notions of nations. And, you know, these small group, tribal groups we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, and so I, I imagine, you know, 150 years from now, there's a 15-year-old young woman on the surface of Mars, you know, who's never been on Earth, whose parents have never been on Earth, you know, <laughs> hearing about, you know, a border skirmish happening on our planet and just having little to no interest in it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it would mean nothing to her. Mm-hmm. How, I think how, how long how long will it be till that till we see that? <laughs> question. It's a good question. I mean, it's tough because I think we're also we're working against our human, you know, human nature. We are sort of territorial and we are collectors and we are creatures that use resources. And it's we have to kind of, I think, work against some of our our native, uh, you know, tendencies to achieve those kinds of, um, um, things. But I do, I like, I, I mean, as, as you said, it's like, you know, once we move beyond our boundaries and we see things from a different perspective, I do think we'll have an opportunity to create new ideas of how to live and new ideas of, you know, what it means to be in the universe. Excellent. And finally, what's, 
what's next for you? What's what great. are you working on now? Well, we're trying to turn this thing into a TV show. Cool. <laughs> so a narrative TV show. So um, you know, that is first and foremost in my in my mind. I'm also kind of thinking about the next project and I live in California, so I'm thinking a lot about water, um, mm -hmm. honestly, and the politics around water and uh, the science around water. So I'm kind of playing. I'm kind of doing some research in that area as well. Fabulous. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Meredith. It was great talking with you. You too. Thank you so much. This was Thank great. You. And that was Meredith Bagby, author of The New Guys. Hot off the presses. Go check it out wherever you get your awesome science books. Now, encouraging diversity in space exploration is crucial as it not only represents different groups of people, but also brings diverse perspectives and experiences to future scientific and technological advancements. Creating a microcosm of society in space presents an opportunity to set an example of what a truly inclusive society can look like, promoting acceptance of all people and showcasing that people from diverse backgrounds can work together to achieve great things. We, as a species, now have an opportunity we have not been offered in thousands of years. As we continue to explore and potentially live on other worlds, we have the chance to create new societies from scratch. We can learn from past mistakes, design environmentally friendly cities, and build a more equitable and just society that values all people. Next week on the Cosmic Companion, we'll be on vacation. Yeah, you heard me right. Vacation. Yeah, yeah. But we'll be back on the 25th of March when we ponder one of the great mysteries of the universe. What is life? We're going to talk with Robert Temple, author of A New Science of Heaven. So make sure to join us then. If you enjoyed this episode of The Cosmic Companion, yes! subscribe, follow, and share our show. You've been on the internet long enough. You know what to do. You can also help support us with a visit to thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support. Please sign up for our newsletter at thecosmiccompanion.com or net and never miss an episode. Clear skies.